We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated over on Fan Nation. Well, we have a big episode to get into, everyone. The Ducks held their spring football game yesterday, and we have plenty to talk about from the action that we saw at Autzen Stadium on a, a sunny day in Eugene, finally. And joining me to break it all down is my guy, Ryan Winter, a.k.a. Sports Chat 503. How we doing, man? Thanks for being here. Love it, Max. Doing awesome. Had a great weekend. Let's chat about it, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. So, um... I know we got to say what's up before the game, which was great. It's always good to, to see you in person and, and not just, uh, you know, exist on uh, the, the digital platform, if you will. Uh, nice to see. I saw you and then a bunch of other Duck fans, which was really fun. Um, let me see if I can share my screen. But, yeah, here, here's us uh, hey. from, from uh, a, a great day in, in Eugene. It felt like a typical game day almost, you know, getting up, getting prepped, and then going – going out to uh, Autzen and saying hi to some folks. Uh, how, how did you feel just about the atmosphere and to be back out there? Yeah, I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought uh, they did you know, they did a really good job promoting it. it there, the, there's certain times where the spring game is more meaningful than others. I mean, we've gone through this. I think the biggest spring game I remember was the one right after they went to the national championship. And uh, the hype was just at an all-time high. I mean, everybody wanted to get their piece, but... What I really like about the spring game is it gives a chance for a lot of people who don't go to the average games during the year a chance to go and a chance, a, you know, chance for families to bring all five of their kids or something. And it's just a great event. And I think uh, there's been years where it's been very light. <clears throat> you know, obviously there's been years where it's like half of a stadium and a lot of fan bases around the country, they don't have a huge event to go to. Now they do where their football factories are. Anywhere there's the football factories in the South or, you know, Ohio State or whatever. Uh, but, you know, you look at USC, their fans, you know, there's other things to do. They're not going to a s- scrimmage. And a lot of times some of these coaches, when they first come in, you know, they uh, they want to use it at more like a practice than like an actual like game or a scrimmage type of atmosphere. So I really liked how they went with the four quarters. Uh, I really liked how they brought in the alumni uh, they really encouraged a lot of people to come up there. I got to see just so many people that it feels like I haven't seen for a while, uh, you know, in the last couple of years. You know, with the pandemic and everything, you're coming off of it. It was just an awesome event. Yeah, and then the weather was just beautiful. Like, the weather totally checked out. This whole 
spring has just been awful when it comes to uh, uh, weather. So I was hopeful, and uh, they got to get they got a great weekend, and it was a huge recruiting weekend. Again, that's what you're more on the pulse of, and you, there was just a laundry list of different kids that were there, and uh, so it was just a great event, good to show off the uh, community, and then not to only mention that. But to have the baseball game, the softball game, the Oregon relays, the soccer in the morning, it was just tremendous. The concert afterward, I mean, it was awesome. It was a tremendous, tremendous day. Just about anything you could want from an Oregon sports perspective, you were able to get it uh, yesterday on Duck Day in Eugene. But let's talk about what we saw on the field, Ryan, because I think that's what uh, we, what the people come for. Uh, and that's what we want to have that conversation about. Uh, we're going to hit on, you know, a couple different position groups, some players that stuck out to us, and then maybe some areas that we want to see some improvement going forward. You know, we'll, we'll just we'll just have a good time and and uh, we'll do our thing. So let's start with the quarterbacks. I think that's the the area that had the most intrigue, of course, heading into the spring game. You got Bo Nix coming in from Auburn, Ty Thompson kind of wait still waiting for his turn, as is Jay Butterfield. Both of those guys uh, have some, some high expectations after coming to Oregon as highly touted guys, certainly with Thompson being the highest rated quarterback signee in program history. But we finally got a good sample size of all these guys after seeing some limited uh, action in 11 on 11. And um, yeah, let's, let's just talk about kind of what we saw. I think with, with Bo, he had probably the, the best overall day. Um, yeah, I loved how aggressive he was, especially that first play of the game to seven is something that a lot of people are talking about. I was just kind of wondering how long it was going to take us to see that, and he wasted no time. Uh, so he looked like that veteran guy, the guy who has that poise and uh, you know the experience of playing college football in the past. You could tell that it, it wasn't something super new to him. Um, I think just from the velocity and like technique standpoint, I, I don't think his ball looked as lively maybe as, as Thompson's and, and Butterfield's did, but uh, overall, I'd say it's a pretty solid day for him. Final stat line for Bo Nix, 8 for 15, 230 yards, three touchdowns, and, and one pick. Yeah, you know, I thought it really showed up how poised he was in the pocket. And, you know, because both these guys were under a little bit of duress. They were getting to the quarterback yesterday. The defense, if you're a fan of defensive football, you're going to have fun watching this Duck team this year. It's going to be insane. But, uh, you know, I, I did think that Bo, yeah, you're right. They, they they both came out with the first big play. Actually, Ty Thompson's pass was just about a yard too long uh, or, or maybe two yards too long, but it was a bomb. Um, uh, and that one was just, just outstretched to Troy Franklin. Uh, seven McGee in space, that was a great play. Uh, he was wide open. And, uh, yeah, Bo, I, again, I, I think there's going to be positives and negatives. The pick was not great, uh, and there was some there was some completion issues there. But it's a young team uh, relative to the learning the offense, and it's going to take a little while. I thought the running backs looked pretty good on both sides, uh, and of course, I think the running game is always a quarterback's best friend. But this is an offense you're going to see the, the the ball in the air more. It just it, it felt like those first two passes from both sides of the offense was some sort of a little bit of an homage to the. Uh, the previous uh, coaching staff, somewhat of a little tip of the cap, where it's like, we've changed the guard a little bit, we've watched your film, and now we're going to open it up a little bit. Which is, again, what the co what the fans have wanted from the coaches. And I do think that if you go back to the Anthony Brown thing, there most of that discontent was about the coaches, not necessarily Anthony Brown himself. I think that uh, time has shown that, you know, had he been in a different sort of a system, he might have been a different quarterback. Uh, but Bo Nix... 
looks good. And I think that the Ty Thompson crowd's going to have to take a little bit of a deep breath because they were so focused on Ty being head and shoulders above everybody else in the running. And, and I think that in realistic terms, you saw what you saw. And, you know, it's a competition where Jay Butterfield has a shot at it. I mean, I think this is going to be an absolutely insane going down the stretch. I do think Bo's the number one guy, but I already said that to begin with. As soon as he transferred in, I thought, well, he's just hierarchy-wise, he would be the starter based on years and experience and everything else. It's going to take a pretty good spring for Ty or Jay to jump him in the starting lineup, but I also think that there's room to grow for both Jay Butterfield and Ty Thompson, and I don't know if I feel the same way as I felt before with the transfer portal. I was very scared of the transfer portal, like many other Duck fans, and was the thought was, oh man, if Bo gets the gig, especially early, then one of these guys, or maybe both these guys are going to jump. I kind of don't feel like that anymore. I feel like this could be an opportunity where these two guys are going to fight for it, and, and whoever the second place player is, I think they're going to see playing time this year. I, I think it's hard to keep a quarterback clean throughout the whole year, and it's hard to keep a guy healthy. Uh, and uh, this could be a year where I think you're going to have to see a lot of guys on deck ready to play. But I was very impressed with Bo Nix. I thought Ty Thompson shook off some of those bad passes and whatnot and, and, and played some pretty good football. I think Ty Thompson's best weapon he couldn't really use, which is the scrambling out of the pocket. I think that's going to be his real difference maker. I mean, he can throw the ball deep, but he can sprint out of that pocket. I liked what I saw from Ty overall uh, on Saturday. Uh, I, you saw the the arm strength that we we always talk about. He had some good some good passes over the middle. He had that big long strike to uh, Chris Hudson up the sideline. Um, but there were also those moments where I, I was writing yesterday in my takeaways piece where you see why there might have been some of that hesitation or why he maybe wasn't ready last year. Um, and that's not to say that he won't be ready this year, but just. Some of those, some areas they still needs to improve, whether it be, you know, ball placement at times, uh, you know, kind of some various throws when he was missing too high or too low. Uh, on his interception, that was behind Spencer Webb, um, which was kind of where the whole thing originated. And he was able to get a hand on it, and then TriQuest Bridges ended up grabbing it, and, and we know what happened after that. But you can you can see the potential uh, with, with, with Ty Thompson, and I agree. It's, it's also a little hard to evaluate the quarterback because – of the offensive line being shifted around. You know, yes. we talk about how important that cohesion is with those guys up front, but we kind of had a mixture of starters and, and rotational guys that, that were in place. So I think that's another thing that's important to talk about. And then when the whistle ultimately gets blown and like when a play is allowed to continue versus when they're, uh, they're you know, nipping it in the bud uh, to avoid any injuries, obviously. So uh, yeah, just to give a uh, final stats for Ty, for people who maybe weren't at the game or haven't been able to watch it yet, 12 for 27, 168 yards and a touchdown uh, against two interceptions. And I do want to say that on his at least one of his interceptions, I think his his footwork was a little out of whack um, when I was watching uh, the the replays in terms of where he was trying to go with the ball and where he was leading with that foot. I'm not a quarterback guru, but just kind of something that I think stood out to me. You just want to get set, set your feet, and then deliver the ball, but. Um, yeah, I think we're, we're pretty much on the same page as far as where Ty's at. Should we talk about, uh, talk about Jay next? Yeah, I think Jay, you know, again, <clears throat> right when they made the switch to this t uh, team and right when we kind of had the, the first thought of what the offense was going to be, we thought this could be an offense that could really fit Jay Butterfield. I think he uh, is a guy who they, they talk about how accurate he is in practice, how he can throw the long ball as well, but 
they really like his processing. They like how he can go from play to play and his memory and, and his ability to kind of recall different things at different times to try to work on that. You got to be in the playbook. You have to be on film, especially these days. There's so much to learn from. And I think that's the thing about these guys now is in the game, you have to just react and play. And then you have to be very analytical once you leave the playing field and get into the classroom, basically. And we've kind of changed our way of teaching and coaching uh, over the years because of technology. We have the access now and have so much access to film that I think a lot of these guys have learned quite a bit about themselves and about their offense uh, using the film. And, and these guys have talked about, especially this year, watching all these other films, right? Watching the Memphis film, uh, watching uh, previous uh, stops for these coaches. Now they're going to have their own film throughout this whole spring with their own offense. And I really think that the jump between this spring and next fall, it's going to be dramatic with the offense. I think the timing uh, I think they're going to work in the offseason a bunch. <clears throat> Guys have talked about how this this uh, team is, is really focused, and I think this is a unique, unique group. They have something to play for. They have a little chip on their shoulder from how last season ended. They felt maybe a little jilted against by the coaching staff and the changes there. So you got to try to find any of your motivations, any of the edge. And uh, it did feel like it got a little stagnant last year at the end of the year. And I think this offense is going to keep it spicy. So if you're a guy who is as big as Jay Butterfield, who can throw the ball like Jay Butterfield, stand back there, they're not asking the quarterback to run like they did last year. They're not asking the quarterback to do that many. I mean, there were some RPOs. There was some read stuff here and there, but there was some really traditional football going on. I don't know. I mean, from my perspective, when I go back and watch it, and I film my own thing, so I kind of watch my own tape a little bit. You know, I saw drop back. I mean, that first play that tied through was under center, drop back, classic, you know, seven-step drop, pump it and throw it as hard as you can. And he threw it about 60 yards and missed the guy by about a yard, you know, and he was well, and Troy Franklin was open. So if he would have hit that play, would people be saying something different about Ty's game because he, he would hit that first play, that big play? And that would have been a much better pass and catch than the bow to 7-1. The 7-1 was just... Seven's explosiveness and his athleticism after the catch is amazing. Kind of D'Anthony pushing the guy back and forth, even though J.J. Uh, uh, Greenville had a pretty good opportunity to caught him just by the end there. But again, I just I like where Jay's at. I think Jay mentally is like, hey, you know, I, I'm going to be here. I don't, I don't see him as a guy who wants to try to jump and transfer. Maybe he will in the future for a one last opportunity or something, a grad transfer type of situation maybe. But I think he's a guy who's really interested in just being a part of the program and doing what he can, and I think he's going to get an opportunity. I, I think this is going to be a year where the quarterback room is going to deal with some injuries. One of the things that was unique with Jay Butterfield in the spring game was that he was bouncing back and forth between the green team and right. the yellow team, and that ultimately was a good thing because it helped him not only get more involved with other guys, um, receivers, running backs, what have you, uh, but it kind of evened out the reps. Uh, it's interesting when you look at it that Bonex only had 15 uh, passes, but Butterfield's final line, 16 for 26, 213 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Uh, his interception kind of came on a wonky play, uh, trying to find Isaiah Crocker. And then Jill Forrest just made a phenomenal play. You kind of have to tip your cap to him a little bit on that yes. one because they were, they were both up in the air, and it looked like Crocker was like just about to start bringing it in. And then Florence saw the the you know opportunity and, and ripped that ball out. So 
great from a defensive standpoint to, to see that play from Florence. He was someone who had a lot of hype coming into spring ball, uh, arrived after spring break at the start of the spring quarter. But just as far as Jay, I loved his demeanor and just the, the command he had of the offense. And he was playing really confidently. Um, the way he, the, some of those windows he was placing the ball into are absolutely insane. Uh, there was one play that stuck out to me. Um, you know, he, he was in really good sync with uh, Chase Coda, but the play was uh, kind of down the middle in the back of the end zone to Troy Franklin. He was just like this close to catching it, um, yes. but, they, but they weren't able to sync up. And I was sitting next to Rube in the press box, and he was saying, man, Jay Butterfield squeezing it into some really tight windows. Like literally as he was saying really tight windows, Jay let that one fly. Um, but I just think yeah, the, there was definitely a lot of precision there. And, and kind of like to your point about Ty, where he wasn't allowed to really run that much. I think Jay also wasn't allowed to run very much. Um, and that's maybe an area that fans are a little bit more weary of because he is that traditional like six, six pro style passer pocket passer. But to that point, I liked how he moved in the pocket um, and just the trust that he showed with his receivers. I think when you want to get the ball to the playmakers, not only do you need to get them in space, but you also have to have that confidence to throw those 50, 50 balls and, you know, think that more often than you're not, your guy's going to come down with it. And that was another example, I think, to Josh Delgado on his touchdown uh, that was deep up the, the right sideline. So all in all, I, I really liked what, what uh, we saw from Butterfield. And I think he's he's really elevated himself in this, uh, you know, hierarchy, if you want to call it that. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, it, it, I was looking at, you know, Twitter and everything else after the fact, and people were trying to rank everybody. And, and, uh, and, and they all put, oh, not all of them, but a lot of people put Butterfield at the two and, Again, I, I think everything's moving. I think there's so much room here. And I think there's going to be movement even toward the end of fall camp. I, I do think that Bo Nix is going to be the guy. And I've been saying it the whole time. Not that I think that he's head and shoulders above and better than anybody else. I just think that there is a familiarity there. There's a trust factor there. There's a kind of a payoff from his perspective to come out here. You know, it's hard for me to say that you're going to come out to a place your last year of college and not play. You're going to transfer to a place to sit on the bench. I, I just don't see that. So not, not to say that there's some sort of backroom deal that he already has the job or whatever, but I think it's a pretty good opportunity that he's going to get the gig. And he looked great. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, he managed the offense. I do think he's going to have another unique kind of uh, skill set that's going to be something that they're going to be looking for, and which is how does he handle pressure situations? Because, again, when you're in a, you know, scrimmage, you know, you're playing, you're, it, it's live-ish, but, you know, it's not that crazy, right? But in a pressure situation, when things are flying around and maybe breaking down, uh, what are you going to do? How are you going to hold it down, and how are you going to get the ball out quickly? Because this offense is all about ball out fast. You saw that immediately. Uh, and I think that the older guy, the veteran guy who's been around a little bit, the game is slower for them, and that's when it counts. That little milliseconds between the snap of the ball and the release of the ball, that's where that comes into play. And you can't just... Be good at that, naturally. You have to have the experience to do it. And some of the guys who are some of the best talent guys struggle with that. And Ty Thompson has talked about his processing speed is not where he wants it to be. And I can guarantee if it's not where he wants it to be now, then it definitely was worse last year. And, you know, even though they might not have been asking him to do that much last year, that's the other thing I kept saying last year was, 
if you put Ty Thompson in, you're going to get the same results or maybe even worse because they're not going to open it up. They're like, oh, Ty's the better passer, so now we're going to pass the ball. No, they, they were going to pass the ball with Anthony Brown. They just didn't. So it, it wasn't like he was going to change the offense. In this case, I do think that this offense sees what they have and they're willing to kind of work around the players they have. They have to. This is their first opportunity to really wheel this thing out. It's not going to be perfect. And they have to adjust to who's already here. They haven't been able to build their own lineup the way they want. They will in the future have that opportunity, but I think they look at this as a great opportunity because there's so much talent in the room. The wide receivers are absolutely primo right now. And having Chase Code, I was so impressed with him, man. I knew he was going to be a gamer. I knew he felt like he had some unfinished business. It felt like he didn't really reach his potential at UCLA. There, He may have been sold a little bit of, you know, uh, I don't know. When Chip got signed there, Chase went down there like a week later. It was, it was his commit to go down there. And there was a lot of buzz around it at that point. I don't think that the Chip era has ever really paid off what they thought it was going to and i think he is in the middle of that i think he had a good time down there sure i think great education it's one of the best schools in the country but to for football wise i think he sees this as a unique year for him he could come in as a veteran guy and 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 get a lot of playing time i didn't see him as necessarily a starter when he made the tra when he made the transfer i could see him starting and playing a lot of minutes this year Wrapping up what we saw on the quarterbacks, let's transition over to those wideouts because we were talking about the offense. Chase Cota was easily one of the best performances of the day um, for the Oregon offense. Uh, bringing up some of the stats from the day, there were actually three receivers that uh, had 100 or more yards on the day. Um, just to run through a couple of them, Seven McGee, six receptions for 116 yards and a touchdown. Dante Thornton. Only three receptions, but turned that into 116 yards and two touchdowns. And then Chase Cota, really uh, a, a volume guy in this one, six receptions for 100 yards. I, yeah, I, I just think, especially after – I was already feeling going into the spring game, Ryan, more confident about the receivers than I did at the start of spring ball just because we haven't been able to see that much, right? Yeah. But just seeing the playmaking ability of these guys, seeing Dante Thornton being able to blaze by guys and really – stretch the field and then Coda did a couple of times as well. Got a couple of the tight ends involved in Terrence Ferguson, Maliki Matavao, um, and then Spencer Webb as well. Those guys all had like catches that were 15 yards or more. So we're already seeing some, some more of that explosiveness there. Um, so I, I feel like exiting the spring game, I feel pretty confident about, you know, Chase Coda and Dante Thornton being those, those longer guys. And then Troy Franklin's kind of an intermediate at like six, two, uh, but he's still, you know, pretty quick and, and twitchy playmaker. And then Chris Hudson as well. And I mean, we can't say enough about Seven McGee. I feel like he really stole the show after being a running back most of last year. That room was really crowded, so hard to break through with the, all that proven production in the backfield. But once they had to move into receiver, uh, we saw a couple of flashes. But man, it it's it didn't. I mean, it didn't even come close to what we saw uh, from him on Saturday. No, and, and again, I think that's the offense, right? This offense, co these coaches come in, they have this lineup. They're like, <clears throat> I'm circling this dude, I'm circling this dude, I'm circling this dude. You can see the guys on tape, they just jump off the screen. And Seven is one of those guys. I mean, he is a serious difference maker. And get him in space, get him the ball, and just let him go. It's playground basketball at that point. And 
this is one of these things where I do think that the wide receiver room maybe had some question marks from last year to this year. But anybody who was paying attention, especially to recruiting, knew that there was some serious talent in the room. One. Two, they had to wait their turn last year. There was a bunch of seniors in the room. Three, they didn't really throw the ball last year on the offense. So now you bring in a brand new offensive scheme where they're throwing the ball. You Now you've got these guys on a year of weights, and they're all talking about gaining weight going into, going into this next season. So this summer they're actually putting on weight. And uh, the offense now is focused on them. So your running backs are still going to get theirs. It's football. You're going to have to run the ball. But the wide receivers are going to make a difference. They're going to win you games. And they're going to get you first downs. And Chase Code is a first down machine. I just think that you're going to get so many quality plays out of a guy like that because he's been around, he's talented, he's skilled. And you know what? Seven's talked about this a couple times about the Bo Nick situation because he, he has a good relationship with Bo right out of the gate. He said, I started working with him. Not that, you know, Seven was tipping the cap that he said he was going to be the starter, but why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you work with everybody? And Seven is a guy who I feel like has got NFL mentality. He's a guy who's trying to get to the next level. He's trying to put the best quality film on tape. And I hope the coach's staff goes with it and gives him an opportunity. I do think they're going to rotate a bunch. So when you have guys like, you know, say this is your starters, I do think you're going to see a lot of guys play the wide receiver route. And so you might have a two deep, maybe even a three deep, where you're going to have a lot of guys get action. And they're going to move the ball around. So if you're a wide receiver in this offense right now going into this year, 2022, you are excited. <laughs> yeah, hard hard not to be excited after what we saw here. And I think that'll also make it a more appealing pitch for recruits down the, down the road. The, the Ducks just got Kyler Casper, so you got to imagine that uh, that was probably good for him to see some of that uh, play out. It's one thing to sell what your vision for something is, and it's another thing entirely to actually see it. Because we didn't see a lot of that last year. And after watching last year's offensive, you kind of, I think, had to take a step back and like, wow, it just makes the recruiting win for, for some of these guys that came in the 21 class that much more impressive because they just haven't been passing the ball uh, that, that effectively. So can't say enough about what we saw about from the wide receivers. Let's talk about the running backs a little bit, and then we'll kind of wrap things up with a little bit of defense because I feel like the offense really stole the show. Uh, in this one, although it's worth mentioning that the it's kind of a tale of two halves for the offense. You know, things were really explosive in the first half, and then things kind of uh, sputtered a little bit in, in the second half. But there were still some highlights to be had. One of the most interesting notes from yesterday uh, that we got some more clarity on after the game was Byron Carwell didn't touch the ball. Uh, he he didn't play uh, during the spring game. He's widely viewed as uh, the guy in the best position to take that running back one role uh, after the departures of CJ Verdell and Travis Dye, but Dan Lanning said that it was just precautionary that, that he was uh, held out of, of action today. But I think looking back on it, I'm kind of glad he was just because we got to see more of Sean Dollars who comes back from his injury and still looked really explosive. And then Noah Whittington, who just looked like a wrecking ball out there, really liked what I saw from him uh, just bouncing off guys. He had that one huge 45 yard sweep uh, around the, the side of the offensive line. So uh, I, I think that it was really impressive to see him just look like he was kind of picking th right up where the last backs left off. Um, you know, I think I wrote this yesterday. It was like, stop me if you've heard this before, but Oregon's running backs are going to be loaded once again. We didn't even get to see Carbo, like I already mentioned. Jordan James isn't even here yet. And then some of the walk-ons got a little bit of action as well. Um, Aaron Smith 
uh, was getting involved. So that was cool just to see a little bit from everybody. Um, Noah Whittington finished with 11 carries for 84 yards and a touchdown, 7.6 yards a carry. And then Sean Dollars finished with nine carries for 47 yards, 5.2 yards a carry. So overall, pretty solid showing from the backs and uh, definitely a good indication of, of, I think, what's to come. Probably only going to get even better, like we said, with the quarterbacks when you consistently work with the same group up front, which is something Adrian Clem has told us he's looking for, that that consistency, that locked-in group. Oh, absolutely. I, I... I loved the way that they split up these teams as a you know coach for all my years. We love scrimmaging. We absolutely coaches adore to be able to make lineups. We absolutely love lineup cards and any in any level, any sport. And um, it was really fun to see how they broke it up because they did break it up skill to skill. Uh, and I thought they did a great job how they gave these guys opportunities. Um, I love the running back room. I think this year is going to be just a huge year for Sean Dollars. I think Sean Dollars has waited his turn, come through injury, done everything the program's asked of him, flirted with the transfer portal, and you know is now committed. Great family, sat with his family right, literally two rows ne- or one row right next to me. Uh, the, uh, the they're in on the Twitter spaces as well. Shouts out to Twitter spaces. You've seen a tremendous amount of connection with the Dollars family, with other uh, uh, players as well. Thomas Graham came up, was giving them love. Those guys all have so much connection. I think that Sean really, really wants it this year. His mentality is different this year. And, you know, a guy like Byron Caldwell, I think he's he's coming into it like, dude, I... I, I I, I don't know if he really necessarily thought he was going to get that much playing time last year with those two guys. And then when CJ went down, it was like, dude, here we go. And he had a great end of the year last year. So I think he walked into this year thinking basically he's, he's playing with house money. He already got a bunch of experience last year. He looks like he could be the number one guy. I do think it's going to be Sean Dollars, though. And then I do think Noah Whittington adds a tremendous, tremendous amount to this room. This guy is strong. I love his interview. The guy is really, really good demeanor. The guy is like, I can just tell. You have to have that kind of like mindset as a running back. The game has to slow down for the running backs. Be able to see the holes. Be able to kind of conjure through the the line or whatever else. But to get outside and go, this is a guy who's strong, who's small, but physical and has great wheels. So I was impressed to see the rest of the guys too. Like you said, the walk-ons. Uh, I'm a big fan of Aaron Smith. I thought he might got a look last year when things got dicey in that room. Uh, and, and I would love to see these guys get a chance. But I don't think they will necessarily because you're so much depth. Unless there's injuries, there's so much depth depth in front of them uh, that I, I think that this running back room is just tremendous this year. So you're right. It was kind of cool not seeing Byron Carwell play because uh, it gives the guy, other guys an opportunity in the spring game. And that's really what it's all about. That's why the spring game is so much fun. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, so we'll, we'll have to keep an eye on how Oregon wants to manage the the uh, running backs moving forward. Um, one other small note just on the offense that I feel like we uh, maybe didn't – it was a little underrated. The Ducks went under center multiple times yesterday. Yes. Uh, that was kind of wild to see, just something that we're not used to uh, seeing from Oregon. So how much we'll see of that kind of remains to be seen um, moving Inclu- forward here. In- including the first play that Ty uh, threw that deep bomb. The, the, his first opportunity. So again, that's saying something. That's kind of what I thought was like. There was some. There were some signs that they were giving the fans saying, "Things are going to be different now. It's okay." Yeah. No. And I think it's just the breath of fresh air that that offense so desperately needed with so much talent that was just chomping at the bit. We got a really good look at it yesterday. Uh, there was one injury update that's probably worth mentioning. Jackson Powers Johnson got a little bit dinged up. Uh, he got rolled up on. I think. Um, Brandon Swinton was involved in the play, but I don't remember who actually uh, went into him. But he didn't play in the second half. Uh, but Dan Landing didn't go too into detail about what's going on with him. Uh, but it looks like it doesn't. They avoided a serious injury. Um, he was kind of just saying, "I was able to see Jackson after the game. I think he's he's doing all right, and we want to just keep evaluating that, seeing what the medical professionals are saying." But uh, fortunately, it doesn't look like it's going to be too too serious. He was the green team center uh, for much of yesterday's action. So we've already had on a ton of offense, Ryan, but we got to give the defense a little bit of love before we get out of here. Um, I think one of the things that was good for the defense is the turnovers that they forced. Dan Lanning was talking about the quarterback, saying that we love the explosive plays, but we can't put the ball in jeopardy. Let's see. We got uh, J.J. Greenfield, who, who rejoined the team this spring. He got an interception. Steve Stevens uh, and J.J. Greenfield were in on that play where they uh, forced a fumble uh, when Seven was catching the ball. Uh, Triquist Bridges had that pick six that we discussed, and Jaleel Florence had that that pick as well. Keith Brown had an interception, so we're seeing the linebackers getting involved. And like you said, man, I think other than the turnovers that we saw, the ball skills from the DBs, uh, DJ Johnson and Trevin Maia, Braden Swinson, they were partying in the backfield. Yeah, yeah, they were everywhere. And I think this defensive scheme is just absolute blast for these guys to play in. I mean, not that last year wasn't successful at times. I think it was, but – this year is going to be totally different. And, man, DJ was just everywhere. And he is just such a difference maker. He's got his whole life in order. The guy's got everything going in front of him. He just needs to focus on football. He's going to be the next guy. I swear he's going to get some serious, serious looks at the NFL next year. Because I think that if he stays healthy, which he has for the most part his whole career, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think you're going to be able to stop him. He is too strong and too fast 
uh, for the average offensive lineman, especially that right side. You know, there might be some left tackles that can handle him a little bit, but when you put him on the right side, that is just killing some guys. I mean, the, he was running rough shot over these guys. Now, again, he, it might it might be different when you line up against Georgia, right? <laughs> right? Georgia's offensive line starting right tackle. A little different story. But DJ can handle it. The guy is a tremendous, tremendous player. I do think that uh, what was cool about the spring, seeing a lot of the young guys play, because there's a lot of starters, they're not even playing right now. Coming off injury, bunch of those guys up front, defensive linemen, they're not even there. So you're going to give a lot of young guys an opportunity to get up there and play and have an opportunity to show some quality film. I do really like the linebacker room. And again, I don't think that you get enough attention because uh, everybody's focused on what you know Sewell is doing or what Flo is going to be doing. But they moved a lot of guys around, like uh, Adrian Jackson. I felt like he was flying around yesterday. LeDuc was having a great day. Uh, these guys were all over the place. And then uh, you, had, you had a lot of the young guys making uh, uh, contributions, which is always fun to see in a spring game, is how do the young guys do uh, especially these guys who just got on campus this spring in the uniform and in, in, in meaningful minutes. Yeah, good to get contributions from, from everybody across the board. That was probably one of the biggest things that maybe stuck out to me is the pressure that they were able to get, even though they were missing so guys, so many guys along the interior. Popo, Mavai, Brandon Dorless, Keon Hudson, all unavailable for the spring game. Saw a new addition in Sam Taki Taimani. He was making a play or two and, and keeping yeah. that push coming from the interior. So that was something that was definitely a positive takeaway. Uh, but again, like we said with the offensive line, it's a little tricky to judge that. Um, but I think you you summed that up pretty well. But to talk about DJ Johnson again, he was going for much of the day against either Stephen Jones or I believe it was TJ Bass, two starting offensive linemen for Oregon. And, and he was he was doing his thing, and and you know he was bouncing around I think uh, from side to side a little bit, and then even if he moved, you just still there were just so many plays where you just saw DJ just driving his guy back like it was just nothing. Um, so he's probably the guy I'm most excited about along the front seven, aside from Justin Flo, who didn't play uh, after being limited for all of spring ball. Got it gradually eased in a little bit more leading up to the spring game here this week, going through some 11 on 11 with uh, what looked like the second team or the second group that was out there. But you don't you don't want to risk it with a guy like that who's not only a a, a pretty highly rated guy, but someone who has that injury history now, right? You know, it'd be maybe a little bit of a different story if he had only one serious injury, but because that's happened twice to him now, which is just uh, terrible luck, um, makes sense for them to kind of ease him back in. And um, so I'm trying to think of what other position I wanted to talk about. We already talked about the secondary a little bit, um, seeing some of those guys flying around. And um, I think Jaleel Florence, we, we talked about him. He was really staying with a lot of guys. I liked how they – there were a couple plays where, you know, some DBs got burned. I mean, Dante's earlier touchdown, Florence was in coverage, I believe, on the on the deep shot. Uh, but then he was able to bounce back and get that interception. So it was good to see that he can kind of have that reset. I think Dan Lane calls it, you know, the um, oh, shoot. What was it? it? Was like not the so what, but now it was basically just hitting that reset switch and being able to kind of pick up where where you left off and and just clean things up. So overall, I liked what I saw from from the secondary Triquez Bridges, especially being back there at safety. Uh, that that was uh, some really good stuff. And then Christian Gonzalez had a pretty nice hit that stuck out to me on a sweep run to, to Seven McGee. Yeah. 
The one where Seven tried to jump over the top of him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think this defense is going to be so much fun to watch. You, you, you nailed it. I mean, there's guys who are out. I mean, Dante Manning's out. Uh, there's other guys who are out on this, like you said, guys up front. This defense is going to bring back even more talent. <laughs> they, they are ready to go. Again, I, the average coaching staff, when they rebuild the team, does not get this kind of talent to work with on year one. And uh, there's usually a huge grace period for coaches to get their guys in and recycle the guys. And they're going through this whole trial right now uh, with Willie Taggart of basically the, the push out, right? When Willie Taggart got here, they're like, we're going to find the snakes. You're going to cut the heads off or whatever. They're just trying to push kids out. This coaching staff, completely different. There were some guys who left the, co- the, the, the program. That's fine. But this is a coaching staff that has come in and said, hey, man, we are going to do things different. In, in some cases, radically different. It's going to take some time. It's going to be a transition. But everybody in the room's good enough to be able to do it the right way. I mean, even the offensive line talks about how their te- their technique is different. And they're blowing guys off the ball. And it's like, well, that's why we do it this way. <laughs> so not to say that you couldn't do it the other way. You could. But you could do it this way as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I think that uh, Gonzalez is going to have a huge year. I he looks the part. I really like to watch the guys who are kind of in that intermediate zone. Bennett Williams, Jamal Hill. They cover a lot of ground. You can kind of read how the offense is being kind of like a, a planned, the, 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 the plan of attack by reading how those guys go about their business on the field. Are we pushing up front and trying to really stop the run? Are we lagging back and trying to let these guys catch the ball, read and react, and not give up big plays? Are we trying to fly around and disrupt the ball and try to take away? And they've talked about all spring how this defense is absolutely set on takeaways. So if you're set on takeaways, that means you're going to take more chances in the backfield. You're going to go for it. That'd be an awesome opportunity to get out there and play. So, uh, again, I, I, I love what I've seen. The, the safeties are big. They're strong. Um, I think that this is going to be a big year for Steve Stevens coming off of his injury. Very smart player. And I think Bennett and, and Jamal are going to everything. Everybody's going to eat this year on the defense, and it's going to start because you're going to have upfront pressure without having to bring a lot of backers, without having to bring a lot of other guys off the edge. You're going to be able to get upfront pressure, and you're going to let other guys in the backfield just sit back there and literally eat all day. There's going to be balls in the air ready to, for the taking, and you saw yesterday they're going to go out and take them. Yes, sir. We did see that yesterday, and there's even more reinforcements that are going to be coming to join the Ducks in the summer. Just to name a couple of them, you got Kamari Terrell, defensive back out of Texas. The other Jaleel, Jaleel Tucker, who's just a burner, super, super fast guy. Need that speed in the secondary, especially when you're going up against some of the, some strong offenses in the Pac-12 uh, that have bolstered their ranks through the transfer portal and the recruiting trail as well. And then you got Sir Mellis, Ben Roberts coming in to shore up the trenches, even more, more big bodies. Jordan Riley, the Nebraska defensive line transfer, he's not with the team just yet, so we'll see. Uh, when he ultimately arrives, but that's a ton of depth that you're building on the interior. And then all those guys that we already mentioned that were banged up and unavailable, they'll be back. So good to to see what that first little taste of the Dan Lanning, Tosh LePoy defense looks like, but fair to reason that it's going to look a whole lot different by the time that first game against Georgia rolls around, certainly in fall camp, hoping to get some of those guys back healthy from, uh, you know, that are injured right now. But yeah, all in all, I think it, it was uh, about as successful of a spring game as you, you could want. You know, certainly you don't want the quarterbacks turning it over and 
luckily they, they were able to escape with, with minimal injuries. So uh, good for the program and, and good for the fan base. And um, we'll, we'll see in the coming days here what the Ducks can uh, get out of it on the recruiting trail. Yeah, I think this has been a big plus for putting kind of uh, their new stamp on the brand, right? They don't want to change it completely. The or, the Oregon, they've all said it. We're at the O, you know, like, so the, the Oregon O is the brand that they are trying to keep very polished and shiny, but they're trying to add their spin on it. And I think it's going to be exciting. I think the fan base was there for a reason because they're excited about this. Showing up for a spring game uh, in Oregon is not necessarily the thing to do. And uh, historically, you know, there's been a lot of fans that go, but it's not like that big of a deal. We had people fly in from out of state to come here. Like this was a big event. And the way that they packaged it up with all a bunch of other events that were happening throughout that day and weekend, all the recruits that were there. Again, I was just like panning the sideline, constantly looking at all those different guys that are there. The guys that are here already that are in uniform. The guys that are here already that are in uniform that are are, are on the street clothes. Um, You know, it's just a fantastic time to be kind of aware of the program. And if you if you know what you're looking at you and you kind of are trying to see, well, what's next? Because any coaching staff is going to be somewhat cryptic when they start. Even if they're 10, 15 years in, they're going to be somewhat cryptic. They don't want to give up anything. So when they came out and they said, we're going to run a pro style, we're going to run it fast. People were like, oh, yes. Wait a minute. What does that even mean? Like, <laughs> So we're, you know, we're used to a, a, a spread offense this fast. Now you're telling me a pro style is going to be fast. Okay. So it was fun to see going under center. It was fun to see them attack downfield. Uh, you know, uh, Alex Fortnite said, <laughs> if you're going to throw the ball, may as well throw it deep. May as well, <laughs> you know, throw it far. And I love that because I think this year is going to be a different mentality. And it's going to be exciting. But you also might have some more interceptions with it. You also might have some more drop balls with it. There's old school coaches that say, you know, there's only three things that can happen when you pass the ball and two of them aren't good. Those guys aren't, you know, they're, they're incorrect. There's a part of football that has proven that if you run the ball three yards cloud of dust, play d- good defense, have a good special teams, you can win games and you can be a successful program. And football hasn't changed that much. You can still control the ball. But it's a hell of a lot more fun to get the ball and throw it around like you're at recess when you're in fifth grade. And every play is like, all right, I want you to go deep. I want you to go across the middle. The other guy go deep. Go. <laughs> but it's also what you see in the SEC as well. I, I, I think the SEC pounds the ball quite a bit. But when they go deep, they go deep, man. And the, the crowd goes wild. They get huge plays on it. So why wouldn't you? It looks like it's already shaping up to be a, a much more entertaining offense to watch. And I think just to your point, it wasn't just throwing the ball. We saw a lot of really good run plays, uh, but I think after last season, you're going to be gravitating more towards those explosive pass plays because it was kind of like, wow, finally we're getting to see some of that, some of what these guys uh, have in the tank and and what they're capable of. Uh, We're kind of starting to wind down here, Ryan. Just wanted to make sure that you had a chance to talk about anything else that might have caught your eye or that you think is important in, in the world of duck football. Yeah, well, I just think that, like we just said, that last thing, I think they're moving toward a pass the ball to set up the run rather than run the ball to set up the pass. And that's kind of a a, a different mentality. And that's it, going to affect every side or every position on the offense. 
but I, mean, I think defensively, they're just going to fly around so much. They're going to get a lot more takeaways this year. And I think the special teams is another thing to focus on a little bit. Special teams look good, and uh, it, it feels like they're focusing on special teams more. And I feel like in, in the Bilotti era, that was one of our secret weapons. The, the special teams was one of our best things that they had going for it. And everybody used to marvel at how they had starters on the special teams. Well, now it's expected. And uh, they, they talked about that last week, that everybody's expected to play one, and you can play up to two. Uh, and, and some guys have asked to play four. <laughs> Done, so it's just amazing to uh, think about spending a little more energy on special teams, what that can do for you. Because like, you know, like they say, you know, if you have, if you have some takeaways and you can't protect the ball, or if you have uh, uh, turnovers or penalties on, uh, and, and those sort of things on, on special teams, it'll kill you. It'll literally lose you games. And they've got all the data to prove all that now. So uh, I was really impressed to see that. Uh, I, I think that the, they're going to kick field goals when they have a chance. Uh, and I think that always that needs work, but they're going to bring in more competition, they said, on the uh, on, for, for the kickers. Uh, but, you know, again, I, I just think it's a great time to be a duck. It's it, you, you got everything in order right now. You feel like you got a good defense. you got a good offense. You've got brand-new coaching staff that's really hungry. They looked really good. I, I also like to just kind of watch body language and watch how people interact with each other. The coaches all look really comfortable. They all look really good with all the players. And, of course, you get a chance to see this when you guys get, get into practice. But they looked really good on the sideline. They were really comfortable on the sideline. Guys knew where they were supposed to be. It was organized. A lot of coaching. There are a lot of coaches out there. There's a lot of positions out there. So uh, it was really refreshing to kind of see that. And I think that now you've got a chance to roll into next year being probably the favorite in the North, maybe one of the favorites in the Pac-12, go to start the year at <laughs> Atlanta, which everybody's going to be have circled on the map. It was so good to see all the Duck fans there saying, when's your next game? We'll see you in Atlanta. I mean, that's the kind of buildup that you have in a program that – that's really exciting to be a part of. And I think all these guys that are coming in, ready to play, they're going to have that as kind of the bar that's going to be set for the rest of their time here at Oregon. And even though next year you might not have the same sort of big off-season schedule like you have this year, the, 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 that mentality is going to be set already. And the expectation is going to be there. Um, the BYU game, I think, is going to be awesome. One of the guys who sat next to me is a BYU guy. Uh, and he, we were talking about the, that BYU game, how that's going to be a humongous, humongous game on the West Coast. And everything's set up for them. And you have a great year next year with your home games. Uh, you've got all the all, all the home games uh, that you want. You have to go on the road for the Beeve game, but that's going to be awesome in their new stadium and whatnot. And it's just going to be a great time to be a Duck, man. So this year you knew this spring game was going to be awesome. Everybody was looking forward to it. It happened, and it happened with great weather and everything else. This has to be a sign of positive things to come. Very different than, let's say, when we went to the Rose Bowl and we were at our tailgate at the Rose Bowl at Santa Monica Pier, and it's just pouring, like an inch or two of rain. We're like, dude, I bought a uh, umbrella that says Santa Monica. When would I ever need an umbrella in Santa Monica? I was like, this is not a good sign. You know, of course, the Ducks lost that one, Ohio State or whatever, so... Hey, uh, yeah, I, I really appreciate you, Max, and I love being on and uh, love chatting with you. Obviously, the tailgate, the Twitter spaces, all that sort of stuff. It all shows what the kind of the community is doing right now at Oregon is different than other places. And other places get a little bit upset with it, and they kind of maybe out of resentment wish they had it like we had it, but they don't. And until they kind of flip the script and get on that same page, I think Oregon 
across the board is more connected on social. There's people across the country that are connected and want to be a part of the community. They jump on Twitter spaces from around the country. They watch your YouTube. They watch my YouTube from around the country. I got guys from the Philippines saying, dude, I love ducks. So it's like, this is the time to like really embrace this and jump on it. Because again, like these times don't come around that often. So you got a brand new coaching staff and everybody's hungry for a brand new year. This is going to be awesome. I mean, you, you put a lot of really good points out there, but just to, to wrap it up, I, it was as good of a spring game as you really could have asked for. Um, and I think that it's just another example of Dan Lanning as much as you can without playing an actual college football game is checking all those boxes. He's creating excitement around the program. He's got everyone on the team kind of on the, on the same page. The ducks are relatively healthy, which is what you want coming out of this, uh, out of the spring. And then they have one more practice tomorrow to kind of fine tune things a little bit. And then, you know, they'll be leaving it in the players' hands until they, you know, come back on campus, you know, get in the weight room with Wilson Love. That's always going to be huge. Uh, and then fall camp will we'll kind of hopefully be here before we know it uh, in, in August. But, uh, but yeah, I think that the, the Ducks are put themselves in a great spot to put their best foot forward. We're, I think we're supposed to hear from the coordinators tomorrow. I, have, I don't think I've gotten that email just yet, but I think we'll, it stands to reason we'll hear from Tosh and Kenny uh, to see what saying. their thoughts were on, on both sides of the ball and then just get some final updates as we head into the summer. But, yeah, fun, fun day overall. Uh, always great to talk to you, Ryan. Appreciate you coming on. Uh, for you guys listening or viewing, uh, got to ask a quick favor of you. Make sure you lock in with us on all the social media platforms. You can find me on Twitter at mtorres sports. You can also find me on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Torres. If you guys happen to be watching this on YouTube, kindly ask that you smash the like and subscribe button. That is a tremendous help to us. And then also make sure you head on over to ducksdigest.com. That's where I got all the written content. That's where I post a lot of my recruiting intel and my interviews with recruits definitely going to get those rolling as the the visits wrap up but uh make sure you're you're tapping in over there and making sure you stay up to date on everything and then ryan i gotta ask where can people find more of you oh yeah sports chat 503 youtube i'll do some live uh, uh now that you've motivated me to do the live stream i'll do some live streams on tuesdays uh going forward around six o'clock we'll always try to jump in and give you guys a chance to chat up a little bit but yeah, I just I love where the community's going, and this is a unique opportunity for us. YouTube, Twitter, uh, Instagram, whatever whatever social platform you're on, uh, it's always fun to connect. So, and of course, always you can go Gmail as well. <laughs> you can always use the old school email. But yeah, it's just a, it's like I said, it's a great time to be a duck, and uh, you know, you look around the country, not everybody's having as much fun as we are. So let's let let's do it. Let's have some fun and let's uh. Get some quality content. And again, shouts out to you, Max, for providing such quality content. This year has been great. Your questions have been awesome. Your write-ups are awesome. You're on it immediately. I know there's a lot to process. There's a lot to do. Shouts out to you. You guys are doing a great job. Appreciate it, man, for real. I'm on it upward, uh, you know, for, for the Ducks and uh, for the Oregon fan base and the, and the Duck community. Um, if you guys could do us another favor, I'm going to go ahead and ask another favor. But go ahead and share the show with, with all your other Duck friends, uh, Duck fans and family. Uh, we just want to get it out there and, and keep growing this thing. Uh, so if you could do that for us, that'd be awesome. But that's all we have for this episode of the Duck Dish podcast. Shouts out to Ryan for coming on. Shouts out to the Twitter spaces. And we will catch you guys in the next episode. Take care. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. 
a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.